everybody. Welcome to another episode of The B-Side. We're a podcast for the film stage, part of the film stage show. My name is Dan Mecca, and with me today is podcast producer Connor O'Donnell. Hey, Connor. Hey. And we're talking about one of the stars, the best part of the new Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man Far From Home, Mr. Jake Gyllenhaal today. Um, and this was kind of a surprising one. Um, for me, in a sense, because, uh, you know, we're doing it partly because the movie's out, um, right? Uh, and I think because we like, you know, we, we would go into it knowing we, we like Jake Gyllenhaal, we wanted to talk about him. The guy's had a lot of B-sides, you know, been some version of a movie star for a while. But I think I come out of the movies having this newfound respect for how good he really is um, as a performer and how kind of... Um, uh how diverse his roles have been um so that in itself has been a nice discovery um you know just in doing this um so that was this whole this whole um experience has been kind of pleasant in that way and like discovering that jake Gyllenhaal might be one of our probably is one of our best working actors right now i would no i totally agree i mean i think uh, I kind of had the same sort of experience. I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've always really liked him to a certain degree. Um, but I, I think, I think, and you and I kind of talked about this, uh, off mic, but like, I think we're kind of spoiled by him in terms of like, he shows up and he gives these performances and he does it so consistently that, um, that I think we're just kind of like, ooh, Jake Gyllenhaal's doing a thing again, right? Yeah, we kind of take like, him for granted. It feels like yeah, a little bit, a, a, a thousand percent. And I think, um, I think, not to dive into it right now, but like, I think something like Spider-Man: Far From Home is a really good example of how we do that because, like, he shows up in that movie and he like literally breathes life into it um, when he gets to kind of turn on. Yeah. And uh, and it's, I think it's just like a great example of, of that. Right. But um, yeah, I don't know. It was really interesting. I had only seen uh, two of the, of the four movies we we're going to talk about. I had only seen two of them. Right. So just so, we'll talk. So the, the four we're going to focus on and he's got a lot. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll mention a few others, I suppose. But but um, the, the four we'll talk about focus on is uh, 2005's Proof, the John Madden movie uh, based on the David Auburn play. Um, the 2009 movie Brothers, which was an Oscar play, uh, Jim Sheridan movie, Natalie Portman and Tobey Maguire. Um, the tw- 2010's Prince of Persia, That'll Sands of Time, one. the movie star shot <laughs> in 2010. And um, finally, uh, in the year 2017, not too long ago, Stronger, which, man, nobody saw, and including yeah. me. Uh, I had not seen it. I, I watched it for this uh, for this record, and um, man, we all really made a mistake on that one. Yeah, no, it's really, it's really missed a good one on that one. <laughs> it's kind of crazy because I think uh, I th- I mean it was also is made at the same time as Patriots Day. So but I all, think Patriots Jet- Day also didn't do. I mean, it did better, but also underperformed for what its projections were. I don't I don't know. Yeah, and we'll and we'll get into it, but I think the relationship between the two movies kind of adversely affected Stronger um, in a way that's that's like a huge, I think, a huge. Bummer. Yeah, we can get um, into it. Patriots Day is kind of a, oof, a debacle of its own. Um, yeah. 
so Jake Gyllenhaal, um, he's an L.A. kid. Uh, he's a member, obviously, of the Gyllenhaal family, which includes uh, his sister, Maggie, who we know. Their dad, Steven, is a director. Uh, he's made, you know, he's been involved in a few things, you know. He's, uh, their mother is Naomi Foner, who's a screenwriter and wrote uh, um, uh, the script to a movie that's like a personal favorite of mine. She wrote the script to a movie called Running on Empty from the late 80s, uh, which is a movie directed by Sidney Lumet starring River Phoenix that is a lovely movie um, about this family on the run uh, because the father and the mother were these weather underground like domestic terrorists who were involved in this bombing uh, years earlier that took the life of like, you know, accidentally took the life of somebody who wasn't supposed to be working but was. And so they're on the run with these two young boys, their two sons, and River Phoenix is the older one. And he's become a teenager and like wants to live his life, but he can't because he's with these people who are constantly, you know, on the move and they're very abrasive and liberal and and all this and it's just a beautiful movie and and uh and a lovely written so so uh, it was kind of crazy i didn't even realize that their their mother was a screenwriter let alone responsible for a movie that's had a big effect on me so that was interesting she actually directed a movie called very good girls that came out a few years ago um with elizabeth olsen uh played at sundance so you know it comes from a hollywood family um and has been acting, in, you know, since basically City Slickers, um, where he plays, I believe, Billy Crystal's son. So, yeah, I mean, the guy's been doing it for 30 years, uh, and he's only, you know, 38, which is crazy. Um, and, you know, his breakout role, probably Donnie Darko. Actually, sorry, let me retract that back. October Sky, I apologize. Homer Hickam in October Sky, 1999, the Joe Johnston movie. That's his breakout, followed by his cult kind of cool guy status in Donnie Darko only a couple years later. Don't sleep on Bubble Boy, dude. And Bubble Boy. Who could, I mean, of course. No you, no one can sleep <laughs> on Bubble Boy. You know what's funny? I don't know that I've ever seen Bubble Boy. It's whatever. I We don't have to obviously dive into it too much, but I do think that, like, I have this theory with him that, and, you know, I, I could be happily proven wrong, I just don't think he's ever really phoned it in, right? right like, right. I think even in the bad Jake Gyllenhaal performances, and there are a couple that are peppered in here, but, like, even in the ones that don't really land, um, he's still trying to do whatever the movie requires of him. So even if the performance isn't necessarily great, it's not exactly, like, a failure. Do you know what I mean? Sure, like, no. yeah. yeah. And and even Bubble Boy is kind of like that, because it's, like, obviously not great, but, like, he's 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 showing up to the movie, you know, he's like doing what the movie requires of him. And I think almost, I would say maybe not super recently, but for a long time, almost like a Nicolas Cage, um, where, where there's just an element of like, even, even when he swings big and it misses to a certain degree for a while, Nicolas Cage was at least always showing up. Right. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, one thing we can talk about with him as we go through these, um, he is an over actor. Um, and I, I think I mean that mostly as a compliment, right? I mean, he's a very extroverted per- performer most of the time, it would seem. For you sure. Know, um, and, you know, we'll get to proof here just, you know, so October Sky, 
earns some kind of, you know, um, offbeat nominations, not an Oscar nomination, but gets him noticed, right? Chris Cooper, Laura Derner in that movie, of course, Bubble Boy, uh, Donnie Darko, comes and goes, but like we said, cult status. He's got a little role in Lovely and Amazing, which is a is a wonderful movie uh, by Nicole Halfsner, who's one of my favorite directors. Um, and then same year, 2002, he's got a nice role in The Good Girl, which was kind of an indie hit that was the Jennifer Aniston indie hit, you know, uh, that was like Jennifer Aniston kind of doing a different, you know, she wasn't being Rachel, right? Like that was kind of what yeah. she was doing. Also in 2002, a movie that nobody cared about, a Disney movie called Moonlight Mile by Brad Silberling, which I can't believe I didn't insist we do for this because it is such a B-side in one of my favorite movies. Um, but I guess we just, you know, there's 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 a lot to choose from. Um, I would urge people to seek out Moonlight Mile. It might be hard to rent right now. Um, I don't know that I don't know that it's available in any streaming. Um, it's just this drama in which um, basically a young Jake Gyllenhaal plays a guy who's engaged to marry this young girl, young woman, and the woman is killed. Before the movie, like this is the beginning of the movie. Essentially, the mo- the woman has been killed in this like crazy diner, like stick up, gone bad situation. Like right? the night owl massacre. Yeah, like the- basically. <laughs> like like, so like confidential. But what what the movie's about, and what so what I love about the movie is basically this guy uh, goes to home to where the parents who are going to be his in-laws who are played by Dustin Hoffman and Susan Sarandon. And, you know, they're, they're doing the funeral and all this stuff and it's this crazy tragedy. And there's also this, I, you know, the man who killed them, right. Who killed, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the fiance and the daughter, but the secret truth, right. Is the day before she was killed, um, Jake Gyllenhaal's character had called off the wedding and basically had come to terms with the fact that like he didn't want to marry her, that she was like just a friend, the, all this kind of young person, you know, complicated stuff. And now he's like living in the house with his, you know, to be in-laws and they don't know. And it's about that. And there's like a woman in town who he takes a liking to. Right. So really interesting movie. Um, didn't really get a lot of play. I don't really think he's ever gotten a lot of play, but um, worth worth checking out uh, if if you have the time. Now, oh four is Day After Tomorrow, which is the Roland Emmerich movie, big hit. Um, you know that's the beginning of kind of like oh hey Jake Gyllenhaal making movies with Dennis Quaid. You know like big big movies. Yeah, I think that could I almost think... be a B side. It, it's like a huge hit that nobody talks about. Yeah, no, no, no. and I think. Um... I would also even say that might be like the last uh, like w- like watchable uh, Roland Emmerich disaster piece, you know? Like, yeah, like that. That's a movie that definitely. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely a movie that like on a you know rainy Sunday, if it's on, I'll like definitely leave it on for like ten minutes or whatever. Um, but I do think the reason I wanted to kind of start after this one is is because I think even though obviously he's kind he kind of is this in indie breakout and he's and he's churning through all these things the like you said this is I think where he like really it's 
it's not really a movie star swing because I think obviously this is very it's that movie's definitely like Dennis Quaid's movie to a degree. Um but it's definitely like his first like, hey, I'm gonna do Hollywood movies. Yeah, it's the and movie like, your agent tells you to take, right? Yeah, exa- exactly. You know, exactly. It's, it feels like the movie where they're like, hey, look, you know, you, you you get to do this, it'll be fun. You know, you're not holding all the weight. You know, you're not holding all the water. It's this, this, this you know, it's it's just you know, it's a guaranteed hit. You need that right now. You know, people like the good girl. You, you know, I can like yeah. picture you know fucking Ari from. The entourage, you know what it's, I mean? It's, it know, feels exactly like that kind of movie. Exactly. You know? And um, he follows it up with kind of a big 2005 um, Jarhead, Brokeback Mountain. But before those two, uh, our first movie, Proof, um, which comes out uh, September uh, of 2005. Uh, it's kind of funny. They're all Oscar movies, basically, in, in one year. It was kind of almost like a Jude Law-like invasion of Hall. yeah i mean and i Proof think obviously Jarhead and brokeback mountain within three months of each other yeah th- exactly and i think you know obviously whoever whoever his agent was whatever they told him to do clearly kind of worked right because he did day after tomorrow and then he like arrives clearly in an even bigger way right like it's yeah. it's kind of it's kind of crazy it is he does that in 04 and so he's like burgeoning movie star jake Hall, and then the next year uh, or I guess technically the year after, because that's when he got nominated. But like th- through that next year, he becomes like prestige actor Jake right. Hall, right? And, which is and, like and a huge still, swing. Still his only nomination, um, which is kind of crazy. And crazier now that I we've rewatched, you know, his movies. And I just, I I, agree. like we said before, he, had, you know, I feel this certain kind of way about him where uh, I'm, I'm I'm in a little in awe of, of his of his talent and his abilities and like and look not to mention the dude is so handsome right I mean you know like that's the other part of this is like just generally like a beautiful human right so it's like no I like to a degree where like I went I I took my girlfriend to see Far From Home with me and as soon as he came on the screen she was just like oh he's so handsome like it's just like yes. it's affecting you know. Yeah. And so um, we'll say about Brokeback quickly, a bit of category fraud, of course, right? Um, you know, not quite mm-hmm. Al Pacino, Godfather level category fraud, but close. He They chose to, you know, uh, campaign for him as best supporting um, because they didn't want him and Heath to compete. Um, and so Heath got best lead and he got best supporting. I actually rewatched Brokeback uh, as well, uh, you know, ahead of this movie. Both, I mean, they're both it's so, the movie's it, amazing. It's insane that... Yeah. you would give him supporting. I mean, he is, they are co-leads in this movie, but anyway, um, I suppose Heath is a little bit more of the, uh, of the lead, but anyway, proof, uh, John Madden movie based on the David Auburn play, Gwyneth Paltrow, Anthony Hopkins, Hope Davis. Um, so I have always loved this movie. Um, it's kind of one of those movies for me, uh, where and I once again I realize there's a lot of these with Jake Gyllenhaal, um, w- where they're lesser, maybe lesser seen, but I do have an affinity for them. Um, Love and other drugs being another one, w- not one of the ones we'll talk about, but um, I really have a fondness for it, and that that's another movie that could have been a B side. Yeah, I mean, like you said, there we'll, we'll kind of breeze and mention yeah. obviously a bunch of them, but like yeah, he's this dude has built a career out of B sides. Yeah, it's true that like 
uh, and not, and it's weird because it's not like he's one of those actor who those actors who you know his whole career are these movies you don't know. Like they're movies that we'll mention, and you'll be like, oh yeah, that movie. Like you like right. these movies were were showcased and things like that. It's just either nobody saw them or maybe they were smaller yeah. or uh, you know or they flopped or whatever. Now proof is a, proof is a very B B side because it has the pedigree of of everything you need, right? John Madden, director of Shakespeare in Love, directed Gwyneth to her Oscar in 1998. Uh, uh, you know, oh, I guess 99 Oscars, but... Um, so this is them reuniting. Yep. It's a play by an accomplished playwright. Um, With a co-screenwriting credit from another accomplished right. writer, Rebecca exactly. Miller. Rebecca Miller, exactly. Who, underrated director, very talented writer-director. Um and so, yeah, I mean, everything about this, Anthony Hopkins trying, right? You know what I mean? Like he's, you know, Anthony Hopkins actually giving a, a very good performance. Um, yeah. And it just, you know, it's a Miramax movie, which at the time meant something, of course, still in 2005. Um, and it didn't even do poorly, all things considered. I mean, seven and a half million dollars for a movie like this. I mean, I think it pro- probably cost too much money. I mean, right. this is during a time. Yeah, it cost. I'm looking at Box Office Mojo. It's telling me it cost twenty million dollars, which is just insane. Like that, a movie. The, mo- the movie takes place in like in a in three a, locations. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's based on a play, and you can tell. Um, you know, they're expanding upon probably a one or two setting scenario for the play, and they do actually a pretty good job. But yeah, it's like still a house on a university, a university campus an airport waiting area and you know a backyard you know what i mean like you know the, you know right. that, that's what yeah. we're talking about but so basically it's a pretty simple premise um anthony hopkins has just passed away he was this genius mathematician who's teaching at a chicago college and he um the last few years of his life um he had lost it and was totally like basically crazy and gwyneth paltrow and hope davis are his daughters. Hope Davis ran off to New York to get a job and, you know, pay for everything while Gwyneth Paltrow stayed and took care of the, uh, of the dad, Anthony Hopkins, while, whilst also encountering her own burgeoning potential psychosis, her own potential mathematical genius. And, um, uh, one of the TAs, who's who's with anthony hopkins character because he had like a lucid year was jake gyllenhaal and so jake gyllenhaal is essentially going through all of anthony hopkins's works and crazy ramblings in the house that gwyneth paltrow still living in and while this is all going on it's revealed that there that there is this proof that he did write when everybody thought he was crazy that might be his like last great, you know, piece of math work, but she wrote it, or she thinks she wrote it, and that's right. kind of what the, the, the whole movie conflict of the about. yeah, the whole conflict of the movie is that Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, I mean, clearly someone who is chemically imbalanced. This is definitely one of those movies. I won't tangent too much into this, but this is definitely one of those movies where like, uh, and I think. I talked about this a little bit on the uh, on the Meg Ryan 
uh, episode. Well, I was going to say, this is a little hanging uppy, this movie. Yeah, yeah, where it's like it treats mental illness as like a, ah, well, why do we got to deal with this crazy person? They can just get over it kind of thing. And it sort of plays fast and loose with that stuff. Without, like, meanwhile, I mean, like, this I'm one's watching, more nuanced, I think, than hanging. For, up, no, for sh- for know. sure, for sure, for sure. It's just I definitely got a little taste of that. Like, you know, th- there are moments where Jake Gyllenhaal's like, "You're gonna be okay. You're gonna be great." And it's like I don't know. Maybe she probably should see somebody and like be on medication. And you know, like, yeah. there's definitely a level of like of like we just know more now about mental illness. Um, but but I did actually I'd never seen this movie. Um, I did actually really like it. Um, I have, I had a couple questions and again, I know it's based on a play and it's a little condensed, um, on like what the timeline of this movie is like, like obviously yeah, like Hopkins how, over Hop- how many days. Does yeah. Like Hopkins is dead before the movie starts and there are flashbacks to that. And I will say the movie, because it sort of introduces Gwyneth Paltrow as you know as sort of hallucinating right to a certain degree and one of my favorite opening scenes to any movie um it's 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 really really great like she has this whole and it's not I mean well I guess we're getting into spoilers here but like yeah it she the first like 15 minutes of the movie um this also this movie is like a tight like 100 you know minutes yeah basically which is like really nice but um like 15 minutes into the movie Gwyneth Paltrow, she's clearly been like kind of hanging around. You get the idea, semi depressed uh, on her birthday. She goes to the fridge. There's like champagne in the fridge. She and Hopkins have a nice moment, and he's like, "Go hang out with your friends." Blah 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 blah. It's 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 a nice. They have a nice little scene, you know, and you get the idea that they have this like interesting little life together, and they talk about you know him being crazy and her being crazy in this conversation of like people who are crazy like you can tell you're crazy when you don't admit that you're crazy basically and the end of the scene is is their conversation leading into her realizing like oh yeah you died two weeks ago well yeah she 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 he his argument is if you if you can say you're crazy you're not crazy and but then she's like well no but that doesn't make sense because you're saying you're crazy and you are crazy and then he's like yeah but i'm also dead Right, yeah, and, like, it's, and, it's, and and she realizes nice. that you know um, he died, you know, and the funeral's tomorrow, and this is a hallucination, you know. So to your to your point, the movie's opening, showing us that she's dealing with, she's dealing with her own, you know, she's straying from reality herself. Like so, the movie does open w- with it against our lead essentially, you know, which, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, which I, I think that's super interesting. I think, you know, you, and the reason I liked it is cause like you, you definitely, I think run into problems with it once Jill and Hall shows up and she kind of freaks out on him because she, she thinks he's like trying to rob one of her father's notebooks and stuff. And she like frantically attempts to call the police and, and it, and it, it's interesting because like, in an, in any other movie she would be introduced as perfectly healthy and and if she were behaving like that and seemingly perfectly healthy you'd be like yo she's like this is insane she's overreacting what is she doing right but when you right. watch it in this, when you watch it in this context you're like oh whoa okay so we're just getting dropped right into like the shit 
right? And so it feels like too much too fast. Um, but I don't think in this, like, I think the movie wants it to be right. So it's like, it, it doesn't feel like a mistake or, or anything like that. It's just, right. it really does drop you right into this, this like turmoil that she's going in. Going yeah. And I mean, Gwyneth, Gwyneth is great in this mode. You know, um, this was that period of her career, you know, this was, you know, obviously post Oscar and she's kind of around a lot more like, you know, she's barely around you know, obviously at all anymore, but you know, this, this is the period of time where, you know, uh, uh, it's, she's in Sylvia two years earlier playing Sylvia Plath. She's in possession, the Neil LeBute movie three years earlier in 2002 with Aaron Eckhart, a movie that I actually, uh, like a, a whole lot. Um, so she's like taking these Oscar swings and kind of in that mode, none of them are really, you know, hitting, uh, mind you, but she's in Bounce from 2000. Yep. With Ben Affleck, who could forget Bounce? <laughs> um, that that's that is a ripe Ben Affleck B side, my friend. Whenever we get around <laughs> to Ben Affleck, wow. Um, or Gwyneth Paltrow, for that matter. True. Or, or Gwyneth. Yeah. That. Yeah. Either of them. But so yeah, I mean, without going too further into, I mean, you know, this is an interesting movie. Um, obviously, came and it went. Of the three Jake Gyllenhaal movies that year. This is the one you don't think about. Um, you know, Jarhead gets some play. Also underperforms, but I think is generally well regarded. Um, and then, of course, Brokeback Mountain is, you know, is uh, eternal, right? Brokeback Mountain yeah, has become one I, of those I, movies. Um, I do want to talk about Hall real quick in this movie. Yeah, he's, just I was going to uh, say, he's very low-key. Like normal? Yeah, he's very like um, normal. Like it's Very low-key performance, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, I do think, and I think this is a combination of his performance and the way the movie's written, um, which which is good. I just it, he they play it really well in terms of like you could when she's like, oh, you're trying to like steal the proof and take all the thunder for it. Not necessarily like he was the one who wrote it, but like to be the one to bring it to, to the publish world. it. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, and and that is what he's trying to do, but not in like a malevolent way. He's just trying to get it out there. Right. And he wants to give whoever gets the credit for it, the credit for it. And the movie, I I think the balance of like his performance and the way the movie writes him, you could see at any moment a turn, right? Like a turn of him being like, ha ha, got you. Right. Like, yeah. And it, and it, and it's, but I, and I think it's really good. Cause like you, there, there is something about him that because of like the way it's sort of presented, through Gwen's perspective that maybe might not be on the level. Um, but again, I think he, he does a really good job here of like just giving a super measured, like normie performance. And I've said this before on the, on the pod before, but like, I really like those kinds of performances, especially from established movie stars, because like they're way harder than you think they are. Well, it's, Um, I always think it's the before, you know, before sunset thing, you know, it's like there is something so refreshing watching good actors give good, normal people performances. Right. You know, it's not, it's not like you're saying, it's not some easy thing, you know, um, you could argue it's far easier to be Mysterio, right? Not that that's sure. easy either, but like when you're playing with like, you know, Shakespearean emotional turns and, you know, motivations, yeah. you know, I feel like you're just, you you have more to chew on when you're playing a, you know, a nerd at a Chicago college who's 26 and 
just has a crush on the you know the crazy teacher's daughter and 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 is is like you're saying there is no ulterior motive it is all just like i like this woman yeah i mean mining depth is impressive in its own right and i think he does a good job here i'll say one thing watching it rewatching it i one one thing with gwyneth um and i guess with jake Gyllenhaal and then the two of them together they they can find chemistry with most of their co-stars i find um I, yeah i agree and you know we'll talk about it with these other movies that jake Gyllenhaal. i, I, I have one i ha- i would say there's one exception oh, to go. that at Which least one? in the movies we're going to talk oh about, really I'll, okay I'll, yeah but I'll oh, okay yeah i just was going to say because i think they have really good kind of immediate chemistry in this movie and just thinking back to her movies and his movies they seem to to mine it pretty easily with their co-stars um Switch. I mean, because even Love and Other Drugs, I think, gets a lot of criticism for there not being chemistry between Anne Hathaway and Jake Gyllenhaal, and I don't agree. I, I find them to be, I find them, I, I, I find that movie to work more than most people think, and I find their chemistry to actually pop pretty nicely. But regardless, um, all right. So he does proof. Uh, you know, makes seven and a half million, comes and goes. Nobody remembers it. Uh, worth a look, definitely. Currently on HBO. If you're listening, you know. Close to when uh, this is published, uh, it was it's on HBO Go. Oh five is a big year for him. Oh seven, um, Zodiac comes out. Little movie called Zodiac, not a B side because it's obviously considered a masterpiece by many now, but at the time it was kind of a B side. Made thirty million, uh, kind of a pretty big flop. Uh, I was got I was dumped close. in March. Did you see yeah. this in theaters? Yeah, yeah, I was close to to recommending this as a B side, but for the reasons you just mentioned, I was I, yeah, it's like, it can't no, be pe- anymore. Pe- people yeah. love it now. It's not you know. Now the other O seven movie is so it you could call it a you could call it a C side oh, yeah. rendition. <laughs> yep, and it is bad. I so I saw this movie. Um, I saw this movie in um, Toronto at the Toronto Film Festival with jordan raup um it was at the very beginning of the film stage and we were still going to school in buffalo and obviously toronto's not far from buffalo so we were driving up but we didn't have any press anything at that point we were just like you know it was a blog and we were just going so we had bought premiere tickets to a bunch of movies and one of the premieres we bought two was rendition because you know no one remembers this now 12 years later but in 07, this movie rendition was directed by Gavin Hood, who had just gotten an, I think, an Oscar for Sotsi like a couple years earlier. So like a hot foreign director, a uh, Iraq war movie while the war was still going on about rendition, right? About like, you know, shady shit that our government's doing. Meryl Streep, you know, um, it's Reese, right? It's like Reese Witherspoon, yep. you know, yeah, three she's, big she's kinda, little lies. Yeah, Reese she's kind of take, she's kind of taking a swing. I actually don't want to dive too much into it because I feel like if if and when the day comes that we do a Reese B side, oh, I feel God. like this yeah. is perfect. Yeah, suffice it to say, it's just a really heavy, heavy handed, fairly awful movie. And it was one of those things like <laughs> when 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 me and Jordan saw it, you know, when you know, when you go to these premieres, when you go to these festivals, we've talked about this before. There is this level of energy that comes with, you know, going to the thing. Sure. You know, they're all there. You're excited. It's a movie, right? You're in it. You know, all that stuff. 
Um, and even all of that stuff, even us being young and excited, didn't matter. We still we still walked into the Toronto streets that night being like, that was pretty bad, huh? You know. <laughs> so- I remember you two talking about a moment in this movie. Um, I don't oh, is know this the why, Jordan? But- this is the Jordan thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Jordan has this thing, and it's I. It's a thing now. I don't. Ever since. I've never cared about it as much as Jordan. But tell, tell, tell but us because this is a, I a classic Jordan every, Raup thing. Yeah, yeah, and I notice it every time it happens in a movie. Now it doesn't really bother me too much because editing is editing and whatever. Um, but I remember Jordan talking about how he, this movie does a thing that he hates immensely. Um, that you know where you'll have a scene in a movie where a character will ask a question and then the scene will basically end for dramatic effect and then the next scene is the two characters in a completely different location seemingly in a location it would have taken them at least like five minutes to walk to answering the question almost as if it's happening in real time and so it's just jordan's problem is always like so that person said something and then the other person was like, no, no, wait, 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 wait for five minutes. We're not going to talk. We're just going to walk over to the Washington Monument where no one can hear us and have a conversation. Right. And so there's just silence for like 15 minutes as they get there or whatever. Or maybe they talk about the weather or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're like, so, what, a, so what's a, up anyway? Before I tell you yeah. the super secret thing uh, while we're walking over, what, what have you been up to otherwise? Yeah. And I, and I just, it's a thing that I notice. Uh, every time it happens in a movie now, and it you know it happens a lot. It's like it, it's know, a common movie. Thing. Yeah, that's no, no, my not, thing. It's, I mean, it's a it's a I tool. love Jordan. Not, you know, I love Jordan, but it's one of those things where I'm like, it's a funny pet peeve because. But yeah. I but I remember, of course, the moment that happens in rendition, it is egregious, and it's I think something Jordan that will stick. It still sticks with Jordan. Um, but anyway, so two years after this. 09 um he makes a little movie called brothers it's a remake of the suzanne beer movie from a few years earlier um which got a, some a Oscar danish attention. danish movie danish yep yep um susan beer great director um now this one is also like these are these are you know rendition brothers these are big kind of oscar plays to some degree the movie comes out in december there's a u2 song that's there like attached to this is. movie, which I totally. The soundtrack about. to this movie is a little all over the place, but but the U two uh, song. Who could forget the U two song "Winter," <laughs> which I think got a Golden Globe nomination. So Tobey Maguire was nominated for a Golden Globe for this movie, uh, um, we'll which get to that, is yeah. a decision that was made. <laughs> so brothers, okay, you got Tobey Maguire. He is a soldier. He is at the beginning of the movie going back for another term. Um, his wife Natalie Portman and his two to, daughters uh, to Afghanistan. Afghanistan, right? Yeah, yep. they're not happy about it because he's just gotten back and he's going back, and you know it's you know the classic play to the soldier, of course. Um, and he right before he goes back, he picks up his deadbeat younger brother, Jake Gyllenhaal. From prison. He's just gotten out of prison and they have an awkward family reunion in which Sam Shepard, who's a vet himself, their father, he's like a drunk, um, basically doing a wrong kid died performance. Um, oh, my. Yeah. Though, chilling. though, I love Sam Shepard and think if anyone should have maybe gotten any sort of awards consideration other than Gyllenhaal, who I think is kind of amazing in this movie. It should have been Shepard and maybe Portman. 
and not Maguire, but anyway. Um, so he Maguire leaves. Uh, Gyllenhaal's back. Gyllenhaal's name's Tommy. Uh, Tobey Maguire's name is Sam, and now the Portman's name is Grace. And so Sam goes off to war. While he's there, he gets kidnapped after a helicopter crash. But for a moment, you're meant to think he's dead. And then sure enough, soldiers come to Grace's house and tells her that Sam is dead. So uh, she's beside herself in the turmoil. Tommy, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, steps up and kind of, you know, grows up and becomes more of a an adult, you know, and helps, you know, like rebuilds. Uh, Natalie Portman's kitchen and stuff like that. This movie, I don't want to get shitty on the set design. This movie, speaking of annoying things movie do, movies do, so their kitchen is crappy, and that's like an impetus for Tommy to redo the kitchen and like get in that, good. That with Sam Shepard moment is kind of nice though. But the kit, it looks, it's like overly bad. Yeah, like it's like I, I, I always have trouble. Speaking of. Stupid pet peeves that are dumb. Let, let me join the fray with Mr. Alp. Like, the set design, the production design is such that the kitchen is so poorly designed on purpose, it feels fake to the point where when I was... Like, the stove is not connected to anything. Right, it's like, an, it's almost like what a, what like a counter island would be. And I, thing, and I was right? like, who would ever... Yeah. Do, and I guess like they make reference to it in the movie, like Sam Shepard. Right, like, like the movie knows. But it just, it's so bad. Anyway, <laughs> so he does the kitchen, um, and he, you know, grows up, you know, him and Grace, you know, they all knew each other in high school. There's a bit of a flame that starts to develop. They kiss, but that's all they do. You know, it's a chaste kiss. Um, and they do it after probably the best, probably the only great scene in the movie in which um, Jake Gyllenhaal talks to Natalie Portman about going back to the bank he presumably robbed. Yeah. And confronting the teller whose life he traumatized and like apologizing. That would you, is there another scene that even competes with that scene? I mean, I think so. Like to, to your point with the Sam Shepard, um, performance like i it is a wrong kid died thing um which is you know gets gets tough but because it's sam shepherd and he was amazing r.i.p um he you know he really commands it and so i do think that um i do think most of his exchanges with uh with jake gyllenhaal are pretty great um like i said that kitchen the the kitchen moment I mentioned before is like her, her kitchen, Grace's kitchen, as Dan mentioned, is just sort of a disaster, like a comical disaster. Um, it was a thing though that I didn't really notice or pay attention to until Sam Shepard made the comment. You know, right? Um, You're right. That this, scene is great where he starts crying it, in the kitchen. Yeah, it's it's really nice because Sam Shepard shows up and and it's gotten to the point. I think the movie with with the quote unquote wrong kid died stuff. I think it kind of does a pretty good job because it introduces it so heavy handedly, like bordering on comedy almost. Right. Um, that every time Sam Shepard shows up, you're like, oh, God, he's just going to say something and Jake Gyllenhaal is going to get mad and then they're going to yell. And I like that scene a lot because it starts that way and you think it's going to go that way. Um but, uh, but then it doesn't. You had some talent, too, you know, I mean... Uh... 
just quit all the time. That was different between you and him. Sam had no quit in him. Cut my throat to bring him back, Dad. <laughs> oh, God damn. I don't know how she lives with this kitchen the way it is. And then, like, that's the end of the scene. Yeah, and it's, it's nice. A good and I think the movie has a little, little fits and spurts. I think, well, I think Portman gets a couple nice little moments in there. Um, yeah, Port- Portman, who is 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 stunning in this movie right and she's got like which they remark several times yeah they remark several times everybody who sees her in this movie who like i guess maybe either hasn't seen sam's wife right yeah uh it, like but has heard about her they're like oh my god she is gorgeous and it's like yeah she is and like, she's got stunning. like this like hair that's it's like colored in such a way that's very like it's like a very um hollywood you know like this is right after her Oscar nom- or not right after, sorry. This is a few years after her closer nomination. And so this is like Natalie Portman legit actress period, you know? And mm-hmm. so um it's a really kind of good Hollywood performance, which sounds like a dig, but I think you know what I mean. Um Yeah. Now, Carrie Mulligan also is in a couple scenes, which is nice. Um I would urge, um, just in doing a little bit of research, I actually listened to uh a f- uh, fellow film po- podcast, this had Oscar buzz, has a really nice episode on Brothers, actually, that dives into all the details um, of this movie. One interesting thing we should note, Tobey Maguire was Spider-Man, and he uh, got injured while filming Seabiscuit in between the first and second Spider-Man, while also trying to make a power play for more money. And... Sony at the time said, fuck you very much, and literally cast Jake Gyllenhaal as Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2, and then Tobey Maguire and his his representation asked to get the role back before they yeah, started. Yeah, they, they basically, he like sort of, he took a, you know, he he like flexed and bluffed, and they called his bluff. And then Essentially. Like, no, 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 yeah, we're, it's we're it's one of the great yeah. kind of like inner actor studio you know, little boxing matches and, but you know, for a moment, Hall was Spider-Man. Right. And then I like, remember reading about that too. Like, oh yeah. I remember, you can, I remember at the time being like, Oh, I guess Jake Gyllenhaal. You can, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll include, I'll include a gossip. I'll include an article in our, uh, in our write up um, that just points to it because it was well covered, like in variety, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, and yeah. you know, is, is not, is not, I mean, it happened. <laughs> You yeah. know, right, right, right. And, right. and so the fact that um, obviously now he's, yeah, spoiler to villain in, um, <laughs> in, yeah, I guess in Far From Home uh, is funny, obviously, because uh, for a moment he was, uh, you know, he was Spider Man and acting with Spider Man in this movie and acting way better than Spider Man. Do now, okay, so, so hang on. This is my thing with yeah. the movie. I like uh-huh. Brothers, I still do. I still gave it three stars on my rewatch on my letterbox because of these scenes we're talking about now. As we've said, it turns out that Sam Cahill, Tom McGuire, is still alive. Um, he is captive in Afghanistan. He's forced to do a horrible thing that's going to haunt him the rest of the movie and haunt us. 
uh, because of the performance, and <laughs> and he returns, and the movie falls apart. Like the last twenty yeah. minutes of this movie, it, it's it's like, and this is interesting with Jim Sheridan, right? Great director. His movies in the late eighties and nineties, I love all of them, right? Like My Left Foot. I don't actually love My Left Foot, but I really like it. But everything after that, um, In the Name of the Father, The Boxer, In America, you know, even The Field is actually a, a pretty lovely movie. Um, he's a great director. This is the period, and they talk about this on this had Oscar Buzz uh, episode. He just doesn't have the Oscar touch anymore, right? And and. Yeah. And I think it kind—I think it kind of is about some of the acting and actors he's working with. Where, so basically, here's my thing: if the movie's about Tobey Maguire died and Jake Gyllenhaal rehabilitates himself and falls in love with his brother's wife, that—that's the movie we get for a lot of this. And I really love the movie. It's a—it's a way better movie. It's then, a way better movie. Yeah. With like 25 minutes left, Tobey Maguire comes back and there's no time to establish anything. Um, and so he, he's, he's already at 11. He's, he's, he, he's playing it. Now look, look, our, our vets, God bless, you know, of course, like they go through more than we could ever understand. That's not the problem. It's like the way, you know, like American Sniper, which obviously people have a lot of problems with handles this way better right where where it gets into there's a lot in the machinery that you're dealing with coming back yeah. from that type of trauma especially especially what Tobey Maguire has to go through right in this movie or even like a you know like Hurt Locker I think yeah. rend- oh renders this wonderfully right like yeah. um and I I cuz here's the thing and I'll say this I it's a it's a bad performance uh Tobey Maguire but He's better, and to your point, like that half of the movie is better. He's better in the first half of the movie. Like he's his his moments with Jake Gyllenhaal and his family and all that in the first part of the movie are are nicer, right? And it and it and it and, and again, I feel like it feels because like it's a little more Gyllenhaal's movie at that point, and and McGuire's supporting. But then, yeah, every time it cuts away to it, every time. Uh, you know, of, to, to him sort of being held captive. Um, well, and also, and I, yeah, th- this is the period of time where you're filming for Afghanistan and it doesn't look like Afghanistan. It looks like fucking Arizona, you know, and it's right, like, right. Yeah. That's crappy in its own way, which is it, you can forgive. But like, you know, Sheridan, Sheridan's not the right director for those sequences. It's kind of no, like it's like the Lions for Lambs thing. It's like, you know, Redford doesn't give a shit <laughs> about about that those war sequences so it's like just like get peter berg to direct it i don't know you know what i mean like you know and so um they those sequences don't hold enough weight and they they need to because of what happens and then he comes back and there's not enough time he's like evil he's like this evil piece of shit and it's like it's it it kind of plays offensive because you're like wait wait like like Wait a minute. You know what I mean? This guy just came back. Like, and the other would they it, let like, him come right home after that trauma? I can't yeah, imagine they would. I don't know. There's, it's very, it's messy. It's all very yeah, messy. Yeah, it's super messy. And I think a, a big problem of it too is the way the movie renders it, or at least the way it feels. Right. I, I clearly it doesn't seem like it's what they intended. 
but it feels like the only conflict that's going through Tobey Maguire's head for a minute is just, did you sleep with my wife while I was away? Right? Like, and... And obviously that's a question he would have and whatever, like it, it makes sense that that would be part of the conflict or, or, or whatnot. But, um, but it just, I don't know. Yeah. It's really poorly. It's really poorly handled. And then the um, final scene, I mean, my God, the dude would get oh, shot on the driveway. a times. He would get shot a million times. Yeah. No, a thousand percent. Basically. Even, Toby even, a, even a, even a white American male. At that point, would be shot. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. Forget and about he, a minority, dude. Forget yeah. about a minority. No. But even a white American male would be shot. Would do it. And what basically, he does. for for context, Toby, the like the climax of the movie is Toby Maguire. You know, like just goes full nuts and uh, and like destroys the kitchen that that uh, that Jake Gyllenhaal had remodeled for for Natalie Portman. And, you know, starts throwing stuff around and it's just, he's like act, he's not even turned to 11, dude. He's like turned to fucking 58. It's like, he's just like acting so hard. And then basically he struggles with Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal shows up again through the movie. I will say, even in the bad half, Gyllenhaal's amazing. Like, and it's, so it sort of plays in like a meta way. Cause you're just like, when he shows up in the end, you're like, oh, thank God you're here to like, actually like do something good. <laughs> And he comes in and he just slowly walks up to him and they have this really tender moment or whatever. And Tom McGuire pulls a gun and then like they wind up out in the driveway and he threatens to kill himself and the cops show up and draw their guns on him. And Tom McGuire fires a gun in the air. And yeah, to your point, I'm like, dude, as soon as the guy does that, the minute the would, gun they, goes off, they would light him up. Uh, no cop would, would ever him. get no cop would get suspended for that you know what i mean yeah like, no they would light him up and it's like crazy that it doesn't happen um and then you know he basically i don't know he goes seemingly to like a, a va mental hospital right. um and and that's that's it that's the movie it's it's it is a bummer because like i said gyllenhaal is i, I think he's just like just run in circles basically around everybody in the movie. I think he, he, I just wanted a, all I wanted watching the movie was Gyllenhaal to be in a, in a Sam Shepard play, you know, right. cause, cause in the scenes that they have together, can I tell you what, what the better version of this movie is even me. with the same exact, same exact screenplay Gyllenhaal is both brothers. Right, they just play it like like they're just twin brothers, and it's a double role, and Gyllenhaal plays my both. God. Of them. They wanted to, so each of them wanted to play the other role. Um, really, but sh- yeah, but Sheridan was like, and rightly was like, Tommy Mulgar could never be the bad brother. Like that just wouldn't happen. So they, they, they like did it the other way. But it's just funny because I was watching this, and I'm like, well, Tommy Mulgar cl- clearly can't play either of these roles, and Gyllenhaal yeah, could I mean, definitely look, play Toby, both. Like- <laughs> Tommy Mulgar is an interesting actor. You know, he doesn't do much anymore. I think he can be very good. I think he was fairly good, actually. One of his last movies, um, which same director as Love and Other Drugs, Ed Zawick, uh, directed Paul and Sacrifice, where he plays Bobby Fischer. You know, that's a type of crazy that Tobey Maguire, I thought, it actually did a pretty good job, you know, rendering. Um, he's, I think, perfect as Nick Carraway in the Great Gatsby yeah, movie. He's, he's great. You know, yeah, playing, you know, 
cool Leonardo DiCaprio is less cool friend, which is also real life. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, right, right, exactly. I, I like, I like, think is is brilliant actually in terms of Baz Luhrmann and 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 obviously the the story itself. Um, so he can be good, and I I I think his Spider Man is is lovely in a comic book way, uh, not intended to be a dig. I mean, I'm uh, look. I'm no big Spider-Man fan. I'm really not. But the thing I'll say about Spider-Man, I've said it before. He's, hey, if the comic book character has gotten three great turns by three very good actors playing Spider-Man. You can dig on the Amazing Spider-Man movies all you want. I'll be there. I'll, I'll be right there with you. But Garfield is doing really interesting stuff. Yeah, he's, he's good. Has Peter Parker. Uh, McGuire did really good stuff. And Holland, I think, is the is the now the best version. You know what I mean? And I, yeah. I don't really love any of those movies. I think probably Spider-Man 2 is the one I like the most. Um, I think a lot of people say that, but um I mean yeah. the secret winner is into the Spider-Verse, but yeah. Oh sure. Well, no, no. That uh, yeah, yeah, that that is the best one. Uh, I, that, of course, that is the best one. Yeah. Um, and let's continue to be contrarian and say Mask of the Phantasm is the best Batman. Is movie, the best no, which, it, is, it, which is also uh, true. <laughs> um, but anyway, so back to Gyllenhaal, he does Brothers, and then only six months later is I think the big, you know, and this is not a day after tomorrow situation. This is a this is your movie kid situation. Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, May twenty ten release, Disney movie, Jerry Bruckheimer, based on a video game. Directed by the Harry Potter guy, Mike Newell. Like, this is like... Well, not just the Harry Potter. No, but like, he had just made Goblet of Fire. Right, right. So, like, Goblet of Fire, I think, was was his sort of, like, uh, his, like, resume. The thing on his resume that's, I'm like, just, oh, what I'm saying, this, I, what I'm know? what I'm saying is, like, this was, like, the big summer movie. Like, I remember yep. 2010, like... I saw it in theaters. You know, it cost yep. well over $200 million, including including uh, print and advertising. I saw it in theaters... Um, obviously not enough people saw in theaters. It only made 90 million domestic, about 300 and a half, you know, 350 million worldwide. So it was a disappointment for all the money it cost. Um, and kind of was the biggest budget example of like the mo- uh, the video game curse of you can't make video game movies work, you know, which I guess is... And it's, it's funny because I think with the video game curse thing... Um, the same thing kind of happened with Assassin's Creed, like yeah, and, and weirdly very similar. To, and you know, for those not familiar with either of the properties, like the Prince of Persia: Sands of Time was made by Ubisoft, um, and then they basically that same team and those people went on to make the Assassin's Creed uh, games, and both properties. If you've played the games. It, to the credit of the people behind this movie, I will say, like, when it was getting made, I remember thinking, like, oh, yeah, that feels like an obvious candidate, like an obvious winner. Like, if any movie or any game was going to be the one to do it, it would be this because of its scope and because the game is already very cinematic. Well, it's an adventure game. And- yeah, yeah. And it, so it's it felt, it felt ripe for it, uh, I guess, in the defense of the, the powers that be here. But... Um, it just 
And the problem is, obviously, people say this a lot with video game movies, especially if you're somebody who has played the properties that they're based on. You just watch them and you're like, well, I would just much rather play this. You know, like it's like, well, I just. Well, well and especially with Prince of Persia, um, having not re- only vaguely playing some of the versions of whatever, you know, the, you know, the phone versions of the games, you know. Yeah. The mechanism they build into the movie to like propel it forward is very weak. And it the movie, I. I I'll say this in rewatching this 10 years later, I actually had quite a bit of fun rewatching it. I think like Jill and Hall is having fun hamming it up, basically doing an Errol Flynn performance. And like, you know, I think Gemma Arterton is trying her best and like having fun, you know, people are having fun in the movie and like, it's like playing dress up. And, you know, I think, you know, it's a backhanded compliment of course, but it is fun in that context. And I do think some of the sequences are pretty inspired. I mean, parkour was very big at this time, which is funny to think about, but like, I don't know. It, it feels like a relic and almost nostalgic at this point. Um, watching Jill and Hall bop around on the buildings and stuff or a stunt double, I suppose. And so like, I like all that, but the actual mechanism of the narrative is so weak. It's like, yeah, it's, it's the so- magical sand goes into the knife and the knife is a time machine. Yeah. And, and it don't... doesn't really ever add up. And, and the ultimate bad guy who's of course, Ben Kingsley, which is like one of those classic talking about movie pet peeves. Like if you're going to cast Ben Kingsley and not just say he's the villain in the fifth minute, it's like, you'll, you know, why would Ben Kingsley be in a movie like this? If he right. wasn't going to be the mustache twirling villain by the end, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and so you have all that stuff. You know, the whitewashing is really tough, of course. You know, I and that stuff now. So I vaguely remember this at the time, and I'm not by no means am I defending the casting of this movie at all. Um, but they did, I remember, do casting calls for like basically we'll just say the appropriate actors, you know, so the ones that would feel more appropriate. And it just wasn't really playing. And it feels like that shitty, classic shitty Hollywood thing of like, oh, no, we have to cast these people. Um, The stupid thing about that is like Jake Gyllenhaal isn't like a proven blockbuster movie star. So like even if you are going to do the super shitty thing of whitewashing, you need his quote unquote star power. Like he's not he's a he's a great actor, but he's like not that actor. You know what I mean? Like and it's so it's very weird. But. I will say that he definitely, um, like you said, he is having fun here. I just don't know if that uh, if that completely registers. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where all the pieces are there. Like, I literally, I wrote, money was spent. You know what I mean? It's like sure. one of those, and movies. it's all on it's all on screen. It's not like right. It doesn't feel like a cheap movie. It feels like a $200 million movie. I think I will say the unfortunate thing, like I said, you know, the, the fun doesn't seem to really translate through, even if he and Gemma Arterton are having it, uh, even with like Alfred Molina, who he was this the one things. were you going to with the chemistry? Yeah, th- this is the one that I, I was going to say. I like, it, it, I, it. I just think that like it, it's it, and I wrote this when I was watching it, like it's like they wrote all the versions of lines that feel like playful banter in an adventure movie. Um, 
you know, just like the the sort of nagging back and forth between the two people who don't like each other but fall in love, like a like a Han Solo, Princess Leia, Empire Strikes Back thing. But it's just not. I don't. It's either their lack of chemistry or like a a clear sort of like the you know the facsimile nature of the uh, of the of the writing itself. Maybe a combination of both that just really doesn't kind of register. There is, I will say, you know it. It, it's written like the video game, which like isn't a compliment. Like, do you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a lot of that in the video game, uh, but it's video game writing. So it's like not the best, you know? And, um, and I don't know, it just, it, yeah, they, I, I like, I don't think ev- any, either of them ever register as being as charming as you want them to be. I think even, even Hall as an action star, it's clearly, there's like a little too much stunt work, um, he looks great, right? Like he looks like a movie hero, obviously. You, you can tell he's almost realizing while making it, this isn't his lane, you know? Yeah, no. And it's, and it's not, and it's, you know, and it's, it's, I, I you know, it's obviously a little his fault, but, um, but I do also I mean, think great it's name. Th- Dastan. Love that name. Yeah. No, and the, and the movie, you know, to go back to the whitewashing real quick, the movie I think tries to. Because uh, I don't believe this is a, a plot point in the video games at all, but like the like in the games he's Persian, right? And in the movie, it's almost like he's this like white dude who wound up in Persia who gets like adopted into the family. Well, but, but the, the rest of the family is also white, white people, which is which is weird. So it doesn't make any sense, yeah. right? So it like it's like it almost like. It's like when they wrote it, they were like, oh, we got to make him like a white orphan so we can cast like a white movie star. But then they like fucked it up because everybody else in the movie is is white. Um, I don't know. It's 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 yeah, huge, I mean, it's a it's, it's weirdly it's weirdly old fashioned for having come out nine years ago. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Rewatching it. That's how I felt. I was and like, like old fashioned in a bad way. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to remember, this is also Bruckheimer right in the middle of or right after i suppose pirates. of the first pirates movies yeah. right where he kind of could do whatever and you could definitely tell ubisoft and you know everybody involved in this wanted another obviously pirates right or you know so that w- that's what the swing is and it just never can you know, n- none of it ever congeals and that's partly because i mean look you don't have the Johnny Depp performance anchoring it. I mean, you know, yeah. as good as Hall is in this instance, uh, you know, that's lacking. So you don't even have the trouble too, is like, you don't even ha- have the imagination really. Like at the very least, I remember obviously watching, you know, I'd, I'd note mostly the, the first and the third of those original pirates movies. Like, you know, you watch that first Pirates movie and you see the skeleton pirates and stuff and you're like, oh, this is cool. And even just even with the narrative devices, they have a lot of fun with them. And for a movie about like a dagger that lets you rewind time in almost an edge of tomorrowy fashion, the movie does almost nothing with it. Like it gets used like nothing at all. Yeah. And it gets used like three times in the movie. And it and I you know they paint it as like the sand inside the dagger is a sort of very scarce resource type thing, but still it's dumb. It's like the kind of thing because again I'll say like it it's weird for them to do nothing with it because in the video game it is like the thing like it is the mechanic of the game right like the ability to like try something rewind it try it again differently like that's the whole thing. So you could like I said make a very like fun edge of tomorrowy 
type thing. And they just like didn't, uh, they just didn't crack it. I don't know. Yeah. And it even has like the edge of tomorrow ending, which is funny to think about. Yeah. Right. Where um, she like, she dies. Where she like bad. doesn't know, but yeah. he knows. And, but that's, yeah. you know, um, yeah, I mean, it comes and goes, you know, like we said, it's a weird B side in given how big it was when it came out. But, um, that same year he does love and other drugs, which is also kind of a movie star performance also kind of doesn't go anywhere though. It does make a hundred million worldwide. Um, Ed Zwick movie, uh, Jill and Hall and Anne Hathaway, uh, a weird movie, basically a romance with, um, a pharmaceutical like commentary as part of it. <laughs> um, it's sweaty, but I, I like it a yeah. lot. Um, <laughs> Now, after that, so like after 2010, where he's like, maybe I can be a Tom Cruise, and he's like, ah, maybe not, right? Yeah. I think you get into a, you know, and not not an assance, but a sweet spot, if you will, where yeah. 2011 source code, very underrated, very good, fun movie. 2012, end of watch. I think a little overrated, though. It is. It is an engaging uh, cop thriller, and he's good. And he's, and he's very good. good in it. Yeah. Twenty thirteen prisoners, I love prisoners. I kn- he's amazing in prisoners. He, this is when you talk about overacting. This is him like going going full like he's Detective Loki. He's got the hair. He's got the twitches. I'm I'm here for all of it. I love every decision he makes in that movie. Yeah, it's it's not like it's not it's not Okja. Ok- Overacting, which I also like, Okja. So yeah, I do. I do. I think you and I are maybe the two people who actually like really, really enjoyed like that performance. performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love. Uh, that's actually. I'm looking at Box Office Mojo, and of course, it's not on there because it was a Netflix movie. Um, but to talk about it really quickly, like I love that performance because it that movie feels like a live action Miyazaki movie, and I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal is not not the only person because I think Swinton does the same thing, but I think a lot of people in the movie recognize like. Oh, I'm going to give an anime performance. Oh, and totally. so like, oh, and totally. so the performance he gives feels like an anime character, and it's it's amazing. All the other super pigs were on Flatland, accessible by car. Japan's one was five minutes from the airport. But you, I noticed that you had to leave the fucking mountaintop super pig till the end because you knew that the climb would rile me. Well, guess what? I'm riled. <sighs> Well, fucking film me, Jennifer. You can't fake these emotions. Oh, uh, film. Um, okay, Mundo, get out of the shop. Thank you. And Ten years ago, 26 local farmers from 26 far-flung countries were each given a super piglet. This year, I what traveled to each one of those 26 farms to decide who will be invited to the best super pig fest in New York City. But anyway... I think what I like about his performance in Prisoners is like it is overacting, but it's like a it's a mannered kind of overacting. So it's not him. It's not him switched to 11 just being super bombastic. It's him like internalizing that switch to 11 and it comes out in twitches and the haircut and, the you know, like it's it's all that kind of stuff. But I think it's a really uh, a really fun detective performance. Yeah. And then um, that next year. 2014, he's an enemy, also directed by Denis Villeneuve, who 
directed Prisoners, and then Nightcrawler, uh, the Dan Gilroy movie, which gets him a lot of buzz. He doesn't get the nomination, but he's like cl- it felt like he was close that year. Like it yeah, felt- Taxi Driver type performance. Um, yeah. you know, a great Bill Paxton performance in that movie. R.I.P. Rene Russo, uh, also very good in it. So yeah, I mean that four year stretch, he's killing it. 2015 summer movie by the Weinstein Southpaw. It's a boxing movie. Um, Antoine Fuqua. It's not a terrible movie. It's engaging enough. He's a boxer, a Southpaw, if you will. And um, Eminem was going to play the role. Do you remember that? And then he yep. ended up not. Um, you know, he's making a lot of decisions. Like he's playing it kind of like. I don't, I mean, he's good in it. The movie's overwrought, right? Like, yeah, it's really, it's a, too much. Um, but well, I, it's, think- I know his is a big showy performance for sure. Yeah. And like it, and again, like not in like the fun Okja way, right? Like it's, um, I don't want to get too much into this specific performance, but I do think it's a really great example of something I mentioned to you off mic that like, I I feel weirdly like an actor, a current actor that he is most comparable to, to a certain degree is, um, is Leo because I feel like in, and in this stretch, particularly, especially after Nightcrawler where he gets the buzz, but nothing happens with it really. Um, it, I think, and this is where we get spoiled with him. I think he starts making these big swings that are like seemingly Oscar plays. Right. Um, not, right. not unlike a Leo thing and not unlike Leo, he does it so consistently that it almost becomes its own more so with Leo, but like it almost becomes a punchline. And so you get desensitized to the fact that this person actually is giving like really great turns in these movies, even if the movies themselves aren't that great. Well, and even, and even that same year, right. Two months later, Everest, um, yeah. which is a kind of a, whatever movie, especially for, for, for the content you would you would hope it stuck with you more, but it really doesn't. Um, though I do like that director, Balthazar Karmakor, uh, the Icelandic director. He has a very supporting role in it, but he injects, like you're saying, he injects energy into the movie that when he comes and goes, when you're watching the movie, you're kind of like, ah, like I want more of that guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right, he definitely does do that. Um, and uh and then you know look 2016 demolition uh jean-marc valet movie uh that movie's very bad um it's one of those movies where it's you know you got to break it all down to build it back up right like he also does it it's just that movie's his performance that's actually if we're going to talk about bad ones (laughs) not great jake i would say demolition is uh is in that is in that uh camp um, yeah, yeah, and I, but I think that's what happens. Like, I not, not, not unlike again the Leo thing, where like I think they start making these big swings enough that like you get the bad big swings, right? Like you get you get these like performances that are just too much, and so you're like it just feels like they're trying too hard. Well, what, what's a bad big Leo swing though? I don't love Jay Edgar. That's like one of those ones for me that that doesn't really land. Um, okay. That that would be an example. That's a good but, example. Um, but the, I think with uh with Jake, I think there's a, a level of he always has the and and like you said, you always want more of him. 
it's like even though he never really clearly as we're going through these like never really was a movie star in the way that you and I normally talk about movie stars he still has that thing right and that and that's what that is right like so even if he shows up in a small movie or in a big movie in a small role he still is the thing that you're like oh my god I love this person like and I I just could even again even in a bad performance I, I still think his bad performances are to a certain degree captivating and and yeah, I think agree that, that I think that's what makes him a movie star, you know. Now I I'm just I'm looking at my computer while we're kind of getting to our final movie here, and I will say, um, I would urge people to find the Manola Dargis review of Prince of Persia from oh, 2010. It's great. Oh man, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> the titles before the sword fights. Cue the harem girls. <laughs> it is. She just like rips the shit out of this movie Wait, to the degree where I was kind of like. You know, I was watching um, Prince of Persia being like, oh, you know, I remember these. I remember that we were still trying with these types of movies in this like nostalgic way. But to read that review, you're definitely like, oh, yeah, not not at the time. It was not no. regarded in any nostalgic way. And like and and I mean, not to jump back to that movie, but like and shouldn't be because like I even said to you, like when I when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, it's it it's worse than I remember. Like when I saw it and you and I said this. There's like a sequence in the beginning of the movie where they're like breaking into a castle and it's it's a pretty good sequence. I would I would dare say it's like the only good action sequence, like really good action sequence in that movie. Um, And it's kind of inspired uh, and it's a pretty good sequence. And it is the thing when you're watching that movie because it's in the beginning. You're like, ooh, this is what this movie's going to be like. I am in. Yeah. The first 20 or so you're kind of like, okay, okay, yeah. yeah, And then it kind of falls apart. But um that it's like when I remembered this movie in my head and anytime anybody would bring it up between then and now that first 20 was like all that I really remembered. So when people would be like, yeah, man, that movie is just unfortunate. I'd be like, oh, but it was kind of nice. Like, and then rewatching it, it's same thing. I just kind of was like, oh, wait, no, yeah, no, it's a fucking disaster. (laughs) Um, Just getting, getting to stronger, right? Yeah. Uh, Late 2016, Tom Ford's Nocturnal Animals. Uh, it's an ensemble movie. Um, I'm a fan. A lot of people aren't. Uh, kind of a mixed uh, movie. Um, he's good in it. You know, he's playing a couple different roles. Um, but, or he's playing, I guess. Two roles. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's playing like, like the real version himself and yeah, then the and book then the fictional version. version right. yeah. And then what's funny is in March 2017, a movie called Life, which could have been called Nocturnal Animals and probably should have been called there- anything other than Life. Should have been called the, like Space Monsters Attack. Could I tell you? Ugh, I love here's life. A, here, Nobody here's a here's a fun it. game. Here's a fun game for everybody uh, listening at home. Look at Jake Gyllenhaal movie titles and then Jake Gyllenhaal movie synopses. Just mix them up and try and put the right ones with the right movie. Because you could do it with like almost all of them. Like rendition, demolition, proof. Like it's all. Like, dude, just Nightcrawler like, would have been a great title for life. No, right, exactly. And life might have been a, a whatever title for demolition. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, it's life like would have been perfect for demolition. Yeah, yeah like yeah, you could exactly. just it's it, you could just mix it all up. Um, so he does life. Yeah, life uh, is good. I watch life. God. Yeah. Why do these it's movies f- get made and the good ones get made and nobody sees them? And then stronger yeah. too. Twenty seventeen, tough year for Jake. Like, there was a second stronger. Yeah, stronger too. Too <laughs> strong, too furious. Stronger, um, strongest. So, stronger, also twenty seventeen. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I I didn't see it. A lot of people didn't see it. Uh, made just over four million domestic when it came out. Um, 
David Gordon Green directed it. Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Tatiana Maslany, Miranda Richardson. Um, I don't know, man. This like this is his best performance, right? Stronger. It has to be it's, his best performance. Yeah, you had mentioned that to me. I, th- I think I agree. It's. I mean, it's if it, I. I don't know what one would. I mean, if one is maybe still uh, broke back, this is maybe two. You know, um, he's also, I love him in Zodiac. That's like another high, high, true, high ranking for me. But it's certainly, I mean, certainly top three Jake Gyllenhaal performances for sure. I had, uh, you hadn't seen this movie, right? No, no, nor, nor had I. And uh, I, like you said, I, I feel, I felt bad. Like I was like, oh, nobody saw this movie and it's really good. And, uh, and like I was saying before, I think what it might have been is that like, did this come out after Patriots Day? Um, I'll find it out right now. Yeah. It, 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 this movie had a platform release, obviously. So the difference being, even in that, that Patriots Day was released uh, wide, you know? Yeah. Um, so basically, in 2017, you had two movies about the Boston Marathon bombing. One was Patriots Day, directed by Peter Burke. One was Stronger, directed by David Gordon Green. And... Stronger is about Jeff Bauman, who was at the finish line near the bomber. One of the bombers um, lost his legs, but saw the face of one of the bombers. So when he came to in the hospital, wrote a note to his friend saying, saw the bomber, you know, get the cops or whatever. They got the FBI. He was able to describe the person he saw and that description is credited with allowing the FBI and the cops to find these Chechen brothers quick because of Jeff Bauman's description. Right. So a hero in that way. Um, and actually Patriots day came out end of 2016. So Patriots day came out before stronger, um, by about a year. Yeah. I, and I think, I don't know. I think it, like I said, I don't. I think it just suffered in relationship to Patriots Day, not because Patriots Day was some huge hit, but just because it's like, I think people were just kind of like, oh, they made another like it's the right. other Boston Patriots Marathon Day made movie. fifty like, million worldwide, cost forty five, so you know probably lost a little bit of money. Um, starring Mark Wahlberg, directed by Peter Berg. The thing with Patriots Day is, it's, it's terrible. Well, <laughs> it does this thing. It does now. Look, you know. Wahlberg's a Boston guy. I don't know if you guys know this. Wahlberg's a Boston guy. Really? Yeah. He's a big Boston guy. Um, So look, I don't want to, you know, look. Boston strong, all that stuff. Um, The thing about Patriots Day, and I can't believe they did this when you think about their love for Boston, is they, they, Mark Wahlberg's character isn't real. They basically he's like an amalgamation. Of like he's an amalgamation of like four different people. Yeah. And while that isn't uncommon in movies, doing it and making him like the person who's in every scenario, like he basically becomes the cop who's there when the bombing happens. And then he is there throughout all of the big moments so that there can be a movie in which you have a character who's with you the whole way or who you're with. But the it's whole so way. dumb. Like just make but, it an ensemble but it's, movie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but it's like, it's about this real thing that just happened. And you're kind yeah. of, 
making a big narrative choice. And I just think that in, in itself is hard to swallow. Um, whereas stronger is what we're talking about. It's this focused character piece with like these two ama- three amazing performances for Gyllenhaal, Maslany, and uh, Richardson, who plays uh, uh, Jeff Bauman's mother, and Tatiana Maslany plays uh, Jeff Bauman's on and off girlfriend um, at the beginning of the movie, who's running in the marathon, and he shows up to support her, um, which is then obviously when the bombing happens. And it, it's not; it's about this guy and the people in his life. And it's one of those movies. I would say one of the reasons I think it underperformed and this happens sometimes, is it's very honest. And all of the big moments where like you want, you're waiting for the Mark Ruffalo spotlight, like they knew, they yeah. knew, and they let it happen. <laughs> every every moment you're expecting that, you you're, you don't get. You know, it's almost like kind of like a half Nelson thing or something where it's like the, the movies where you get those dramatic scenes, but they play out the way, more the way they would in real life. Yeah, yeah, and it's its own brilliant surprise when it happens in the movie because so so rarely do filmmakers have the bravery to to play a scene like that, you know, as opposed to Are going. You're talking through, about the scene in the car. Specifically? I'm talking about. That, I'm talking, that's the one I'm. Thinking well, I'm about, talking yeah. about a lot of scenes, right? Because yeah. there are there's big acting in this movie, but like. You keep waiting for there to be this huge blow up scene where like Tatiana Maslany's character has to like defend herself. And when it happens, it's like at the end of another scene and she walks away. Yeah. Right. Like, so that's what I mean. Like you get the moments, but the moments are never, you know, the moment you expect. You yeah. never get the spotlight moment. You know what I mean? Where it's like, oh, this is the Oscar clip. I, like, I think the closest you get to it, I think the closest you get to it, I mean, I guess real quick. So he, you know, they they work with Jeff to get him rehabilitated, get him new legs and whatever. And and what I love about the movie is they introduce Jeff as clearly, they he and, and uh, his on-again, off-again girlfriend, Aaron, uh, have been on again, off again, because he's clearly like super immature. Um, and, and, and basically seemingly hasn't grown up. And what I like about the movie is it's not like he loses his legs, you know, and I, and I haven't, you know, I, I only know about Jeff Bowman, you know, uh, peripherally. Right. So I don't really know. Um, I don't really know if, you know, how accurate this is. I can imagine it's pretty accurate because I know obviously he wrote the book, but, and I know he kind of had a hand in the movie, but um, I love how honest it is. Like, I love how this horrible thing happens to him and he doesn't initially really change. And like, that's the whole thing, right? That's the whole thing with he and Tatiana Masani is that, is, is that she's like, you're still, you know, you're a child and like, it's a problem. Like I still have to take care of you, but like even in an even bigger way now. Right. right. And, uh, and it's, I think it's a really nice kind of honesty that the movie chooses to dive into as opposed to purely just beatifying this guy. Right. Um, and one of the things, you know, so it leads up to this scene that they have in a car where she reveals to him that she is pregnant. Um, and, and 
I, I would say this is maybe the movie's like biggest moment, right? Where he finally has like a, a breakdown of like, and, and you know, like a self-realization of like, I'm a child. I can't do this. Like, even if I had my, like, I can't do it cause I have no legs, but like, even if I had legs, I couldn't do it. And so like those two things kind of come together in the scene for him. That is just, I, I think like amazing. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't raise a kid. I can't look after him. I can't, I can't look at what am I supposed to do. I'm supposed to chase after him. Like I'm supposed to chase after him. How am I gonna take care of him? I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess him up. Yes, you are gonna mess him up, but not because you don't have legs, because you're a fucking kid still. You let your mom push you around like a baby in a stroller. Oh fuck you, Aaron. You do. Fuck you, Aaron. You just have to show up. Show for once. up. Yes. Show up. Yes. I fucking showed up for you. I showed up. I was standing there for you. Oh. And look what I got me! So this is my fault then? All I of showed this, up for all you! Of this is my fault, right? I showed up for you! It doesn't scare me, Jeff! I can't! I can't! I can't! I can't do it! Why do you even want me? Why? I'm such a fuck up! Can't do it. I'm not, I can't do it. I can't. Cause then she straight up, it's like a, it's like a purely tough love thing where she goes into the apartment, starts to pack up her stuff and he's left alone in the car and he crawls his way to the door. Right. That uh, the parking lot crawl scene would be the closest. Yeah. Yeah. I but I do, but I, to your point, I think it's still, fe- it's not, it's not like a spotlight moment in that it feels super scripted or it feels anything like that. It just, it feels super real, you know? So that, and it's, I mean, I guess the closest thing you get to a, uh, a climax, I suppose. I guess the Fenway well, look, Park thing. The Dave, Fenway Park thing is the climax, but right. No, look, David um, Gordon Green is one of these directors where he is kind of sneaky great in a lot of respects. Sure, he made movies at the beginning of his career that informed me more than most filmmakers. Like all the real girls for me was revolutionary. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, the the acting he got out of you know Paul Schneider. And Zoe Deschanel and the other people in that movie. When I, you know, when I was making, trying to make movies, whatever, in college and stuff, I would frequently show my actors all the real girls, you know, because of the acting or that sense of not acting, the sense of realism that's conveyed in, in his movies like George Washington and all the real girls. And then, you know, something a little bit over more dramatic, like snow angels, great Kate Beckinsale performance in that movie. And then obviously you have the stuff, the stoner action stuff, like pineapple express, your highness, the sitter Prince avalanche is more like a return to that initial stuff. Paul, uh, Rudd and Emil Hirsch, Joe, you get a good, uh, subdued Nicholas cage performance, Manglehorn. You get an interesting Al Pacino performance, and then our brand is crisis. I actually never saw, which is the Sandra Bullock uh, political comedy, or uh, I guess not comedy, drama comedy. And then, uh, and then stronger. And then he just had his biggest hit ever, but times two, with the Halloween remake, which I'd actually never. Did you ever see it, Connor? The Halloween remake? Yeah, I think it's. I I have problems with it, but I do think it's got it's got some interesting things in it. You know, to, to everybody's credit, it's it's kind of I I was not bored. You know, um, yeah. So I suppose the thing with David Gordon Green is he gets good performances out of people, and you know, the, and just forget about the technological achievement of like 
Gyllenhaal acting with no legs and how it feels totally seamless. I mean, yeah. which is its own miracle of performance and technology and directing. But yeah, like you're like you're saying, Connor. It f- as good as Gyllenhaal has been in all these movies we've watched and talked about. It feels like he couldn't have given a, given a performance like this even five years ago. And no, even as no, good as he is in Brokeback, um, uh, it it this it's it's nice to think he's still reaching into like a toolbox and finding new tools as an actor, you know. And when you watch yeah, stronger, yeah. that's kind of what it seems like. And then even like just kind of coming up to now, I also watched uh, Wildlife, which came out last year, the Paul Dano movie, uh, written with him and Zoe Kazan. Um, also kind of a great, he's like, he's a, he's kind of a, a loser dad, you know, in wildlife and it's definitely a supporting role, him and Carrie Mulligan, a brother's reunion. Um, but he is great in that and it's like a different shade and equally with the sisters brothers, which nobody saw was the Jacques, Audi- uh, 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 Jacques Audiard movie with, uh, John C. Riley and Joaquin Phoenix and Riz Ahmed. He's giving a mannered, you know, kind of performance in that movie. So he he's touching all these different elements in his arsenal and expanding at the same time. And I think, you know, it, it's all really impressive. So, you know, you wrote the review for Spider-Man Far From Home and you say in your review, it's a well, well-written review, check it out on thefilmstage.com. You call him the film's MVP. And you're right. I mean, it brings us back to that thing where, do we want to get into quick spoilers with that movie? Yeah, I mean, we saw it. It's a movie. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I just, I do want to talk. It's clearly not a B side at this point, but I do want to talk about it just because it is, like I said, it's such a good, it's such a good example of of kind Why of you I think. Channel. Last thing I'll yeah, say about yeah. Stronger is shame on the Academy for not nominating. Yeah, him, I guess yeah, is my insane. point. But anyway, take take it's it away insane. with the far from. No, no, no. It's just okay. So, uh, I mean, Dan already kind of quickly spoiled this. I also don't know how much it's a spoiler. It's really confusing to me that people consider it one. Uh, he plays Mysterio in in the movie. Uh, the movie for the first about like thirty minutes presents him uh, in the world of post Endgame as this kind of person who's like from another dimension coming to battle these these elemental beings um and and how quickly the you know how quickly everybody laps that up because this is the world that they live in right and um and he sort of presents himself as kind of a a solution to a world with no avengers right so it is i think in the grand in the context of these movies a smart way a smart thing to do post end game you know like a smart conflict to have uh that that there needs to be this void that's filled so he essentially teams up with Spider-Man, becomes a sort of pseudo, not mentor figure, but definitely certainly like a shoulder for him. And they have really, he and Tom Holland have really great chemistry in the movie. I do, I do think, uh, even though I didn't love the movie. Um, and he, he, the first part of it, he plays is very straight, very, you know, just middle of the road in like a good in like a good way. Right. And then about 30 minutes in the movie takes a turn. He reveals himself to be a villain and that all of the things he's presenting, the elementals, all of it are this, uh, are this illusion, which the reason I feel like it's a weird spoiler is that if you're even just vaguely peripherally familiar with Spider-Man, uh, 
that's like Mysterio's whole thing. So it's not like they it's not like they reveal him to be Mysterio 30 minutes in. They call him Mysterio, they present him as Mysterio, and then reveal him as a bad guy. It'd be like making a Batman movie and putting a character named Two-Face in it and then revealing 30 minutes in that they're a bad guy. And you're kind of like, well, right. I know that because I know that well, not to mention, is a villain. <laughs> not unlike the name Two-Face, Mysterio is like an inherently it just, you nefarious sound like a, name. Mysterio, yeah. you're like, yeah, this guy's not on the, on the level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I will say, again, the reason... The reason Gyllenhaal, I do think, and I was wondering when he got cast, like, oh, like, why, why is this going to be a thing? Like, you could, you could maybe cast a couple other people. Um, And then seeing what they wind up doing with him, I do think he's perfect uh, in in the role and and for the movie, because he really does kind of like, really say, save it to a certain degree. Uh you get to see him in both of his gears. You get to see this nice middle of the road performance. Um, and then you get to see him turn it up and he doesn't go. I do. Th- I keep referencing Okja cause I do think that is almost like peak um, Gyllenhaal in terms of like just high well, energy. And weirdly the other Netflix movie he made, the other Dan Gilroy movie, Velvet, Velvet Buzzsaw, Buzzsaw is yeah, also both of those. like really, yeah. you know, he's doing, He's, he's making playing to the rafters. Yeah, he's making. Yeah. He's ma- the actor is making big choices. Yeah, yeah, and and I and he does that here. I think to a slightly dialed back thing. But he what he what he winds up doing when he kind of really turns on in the movie once he's revealed to be a villain is he kind of does this like and you know Dan and I both come from production backgrounds and I, I just he had me cackling because it just he turns into this producer like he turns into this like producer director who is sort of giving notes on these you know on these uh holograms that are being made and he's asking to like run it back and do it again and it there's this like there's this yeah the scene where he's rehearsing is like the best scene in the movie it's it's fantastic and it's it he brings this type a um combination of like a dickhead movie producer and a dickhead silicon valley ceo all into one thing and it's uh well and the genius of the performance perhaps is he does the thing where he's type a but he's not smart enough so like it's like out of insecurity almost so like it's that thing of he wants to be this genius this tony stark whatever but he doesn't have the actual brain power for it so like I like that and Gyllenhaal playing with those limitations, you know, within the character. So all of that does make it more complex and interesting and kind of brings it almost not unlike Homecoming where the Michael Keaton of it all, um, though Tom Holland is obviously doing good work and Zendaya is doing good work as well. The rest of the movie pales in the shadow of its villain which is a weirdly on Marvel like problem, right? Because it's a, lot a of very them, it's a very old school comic book movie thing. Yeah, it's very much because like in a, the like a Jack Nicholson, yeah, ex- exactly, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer type thing where it's like, right, exactly. This the superhero is not the where like in a lot of these Marvel movies, it's you know the the a common complaint is like other than Loki, you know the villain is uh, who cares, you know. Right. Uh, Whereas in these these two Spider-Man movies, it's almost the opposite. Yeah, and I think um, I, I think him in the movie, 
it's a, it's just an interesting place to see that he's been brought to because it's you know like you said before obviously he's the the funny thing being that he almost played Spider-Man so he just he he like I I do think it's a it's almost like a sweet revenge type thing for him to show up in a Spider-Man 2 finally as the villain and just completely steal the show like just completely right. be like no nah, this is this is I'm I'm here like take it yeah, take, let me a take this movie like, from it yeah yeah I agree. I mean, I wish I liked it more, but then also with these movies, you know, I like them fine. You know what I mean? The Marvel TV show is enjoyable. I wish it didn't take up so much of our, you know, Hollywood summers and, you know, you know, not just summers, but uh, frankly, the whole season. That being said, people like them. You know, if, if, if the Gyllenhaals of the world are allowed to play, then, you know, that's nice. Um, You know, in terms of what we want from him, you know, he's got stuff on the horizon. I would urge people to seek out Wildlife and the Sisters Brothers because he is doing good work. Um, You know, and even Velvet Buzzsaw, it's on Netflix right now. Obviously, you can watch it. I mean, I really enjoy the performance, actually. I think the movie's quite good. Um, I know people, you know, not unlike Okja, like we said, conflicting opinions about his performance, but I think... He's one of our great over actors. I really do. And I think he's doing really good work in uh, in both those movies. You know, looking at it, he's got this movie, The Division, um, which is this David Leach movie, action movie, um, about like it's like a bioterrorism movie. Another um, another another uh video game movie. Him yeah, him and Chastain yeah. are attached. Um I don't believe that's filming quite yet. You know, so like, yeah, I I'd love another source code. I think you know, seeing action star Jake, you know, complicated action star Jake would be cool. Um, you know, uh, yeah, there's a few others he's got in here. Nothing immediate, obviously. Spider Man, if you're listening, is just out. Um, one thing, you know, it's funny looking at this. One uh, movie we didn't talk about because it didn't really come out is Nailed. The oh, David, yeah, uh, I thought about David I thought about bringing movie, that up as a, which as a B-side, finally got but, released as yeah. Accidental Love, uh, which I I have seen, and yeah. is uh you know I don't know it's uh, a little crazy. Uh, David Russell directed it um a little while directed ago. by Kristen Gore or sorry written by Kristen Gore Al Gore's daughter I believe. Stephen Green is what it says for who directed it now because David Russell never approved the final cut. Um, and it's basically like a political satire. Uh, there are moments in it. Um, Jillian Hall's playing it at 11. He's like playing an ambitious politician. Uh, Jessica Biel's a star. She gets a nail on her head and it becomes this whole thing. It, you know, it's not worth seeking out, but it is a weird curio in the middle of his filmography. You forget about, um, accidental love. I just love that. It's called accidental love. Well, uh, it's just another, it's another one that you could put it in the title you game, you know, like you could you just, could. it could get slapped like, on anything. Like straight up accidental love could be the title of demolition and demolition could be the title of accidental love. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, uh, anyway. Um, so I, you know, I'll take action movie, Jake. Is there anything on these I was, watches? I was rewatches thinking about that you want? this and I, I feel like obviously I feel like it's a cop out because I've said this with a couple different actors uh, on this podcast, but I like I feel like I've gotten a version of everything that I would want to see out of him. I think what I just really want is for like 
and me and maybe it's happening. I feel like it's kind of happening, uh, at least in like film Twitter world with Spider Man. But is just for people to realize. I think that's kind of what I just want the most is like people to actually realize like that we shouldn't be taking this dude for granted. Um, because it's you know his his is an energy that is not often seen, and I think uh is you know. It, it, it's a scarce resource, and like I said, even though he doesn't, he's not a movie star in the in the leading man face on the poster kind of way. Uh, he certainly is in that kind of uh, in that kind of elemental quality where he just he shows up in a movie and he he just delivers, and even if it doesn't stick, it's something to watch. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I would urge people to watch Stronger. It's probably his best performance. Um, I think he's only getting better. I think he'll probably eventually get into that Leo world of like, how haven't we given this guy an Oscar yet? And then he'll make something and everybody will just agree and he'll get it, you know, give him like five years. I'm sure he'll be in that. And like a Leo thing, we'll look at that movie and we'll be like, okay, I guess so. Right. (laughs) And and then they'll be like, oh, we should have given it to him years ago for Back Mountain. (laughs) Right. We never, we didn't nominate him for Stronger, right? Like that'll start happening. Um, So that's it. I think um, uh, Reed Connors Far From Home review. Um, Thank you. Let us know if you liked Far From Home. Let us know what you think about Jill and Hall. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, we're going to figure out who our next uh, person is, but I, I think it's going to be a Leo actually scenario in the near future, given Once Upon a Time in Hollywood coming out. Um, thank you for listening. Obviously, you can follow me at DJ Mecca on Twitter. You can follow Connor at Scruffy Looking on Twitter, and you can follow the stuff we write about on thefilmstage.com. Uh, Any final word, Connor? It's melancholy, Dan. It's melancholy.